You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome this Palm Sunday as we conclude our series called The Upside Down Kingdom. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, um, we live in an upside down time. And what a better time than this I can't think of to come to you on a day like this to welcome you as our king. Not the king that we've wanted, not the king that we thought of, not the kind of kingdom that we anticipated, but the kingdom of surprise and joy and service and sacrifice that you brought, Lord God. We are grateful to you. We lift up to you today our medical community in Southwest Florida, as well as around our country and world right now. They're on the front lines of this uh, epidemic, and we pray, Lord God, that you would protect them and give them your peace and power this day. We pray, Lord, as we take a moment, (laughs) well, as we are um, in our homes and away from so many of the distractions around us right now, that we take this moment to just give it to you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are acceptable to you, O Lord, our God. You are our strength and our redeemer, and we need you like um, ever, never before. We recognize our need for you this day. So bless our time together in this word. We pray that you'd bless all the churches and gospel ministries across this world today in the ways that they are broadcasting your truth and your love and your grace Give us both wisdom and courage and joy in the midst of the struggles and the trials that we are facing. All this we pray in your precious name, dear Jesus. Amen. As I stated, we are in this series. This is our last Sunday of the Upside Down Kingdom as Jerusalem welcomed the King, Jesus. But what they thought they were getting and what Jesus was giving were two different things. Uh, The reality of this week, this last week, uh, and the reality that we are in right now with more people facing this disease and death, um, I, I am thankful that we didn't plan it, but it still happened that we were in this series because I think there is so much comfort, so much joy, so much peace that is offered by Jesus and his upside down kingdom and his upside down kingship. And we're going to see that today as we get into this text, which is taken from the gospel of Mark once again, chapter 11, starting with verse one. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. 
and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. So from this text, we're going to explore two points today about the upside down nature of God's kingdom. First of all, what kind of a king is this Jesus? And then secondly, how do we enter that kingdom? What kind of a king is this Jesus? I dare say Jesus is a genius as how he has orchestrated his entry into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. He's orchestrated it with all the details along the way. Some of them I just discovered this week as I kind of was studying this text and working through it and realizing, oh my goodness, Jesus, you just put it together amazingly, intricately, in almost a paradoxical way because the people of his day and age were expecting a Messiah. They wanted to see the glory of God come down. They wanted to see prosperity and beauty and honor and all these wonderful things. They wanted to be liberated from the Romans and all the foreigners. They wanted to see uh, righteousness reign from Jerusalem and they expected it. In fact, they had read about it from their prophets for hundreds of years. They've been longing for that day and Jesus is coming in following the path that he does, doing the things that he does to show them both what kind of a king he is and what kind of a kingdom it is and how one enters it. You see, actually, just 200 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem, about that time, 200 years before, there was another triumphal entry into Jerusalem by a man named Simon Maccabeus. He had entered Jerusalem after he and his military rebellion, kind of guerrilla warfare conquest of the, the land of Palestine, kicking out the Seleucids, that is the Persian rulers at that time, who had desecrated the temple, had been ruling the whole area, that Simon Maccabeus now comes in Jerusalem after that military victory, and the people waved palm branches in the air, and they sang out and praised God, and he came in to cleanse the temple, to dedicate it once again, to start offering the sacrifices, and you know that celebration as the yearly festival of Hanukkah. But I dare say that the people of Simon Maccabeus' time both saw it as a triumph and also a bit of a disappointment because, well, Jerusalem still was at the mercy of the foreign powers around it. The people were liberated to an extent. And the rulers, these Hasmoneans or Maccabean kings and priests, had actually just taken on the roles themselves and placed themselves in the middle of their society, ascending to the throne, claiming what they really shouldn't have claimed because they weren't from the line of David and they weren't from the line of Levi, and yet they claimed that role. And their reign was both powerful but also brutal. In fact... One of them, named Alexander Janaeus, crucified 800 of his fellow Jews who were rebellious against him 
in and around Jerusalem during his reign. He crucified his own people. This was the best of the way that the world was trying to usher in God's kingdom. All that he did, he could justify the violence that he took in order to try to, quote, liberate his people for their national identity, for their religious purposes. Isn't it amazing how human beings often justify violence against other people for national and religious purposes? Sadly, you know, sadly that happens. Freeing people by force, using military might, we think it's going to work. And it doesn't. The peace that we gain only lasts for a short time. We think we're so righteous in whatever we do, and yet in the end we find out how unrighteously everything unravels before us. Similar to how Hanukkah, even though it's celebrated as a victory, has to deal with the reality that these Hasmonean kings were not the Messiah. So when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he may follow some of the things and hear some of the things and have the pageantry of some of what Simon Maccabeus went through, but he is orchestrating it totally differently and showing how upside down his kingdom is, how different he will be from any other religious military ruler that has ever existed. You can't see much more of a stark contrast to how Jesus sets it up. So let's go through some of the details that you might just pass over in this text and not think about at all. So Mark chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent out two of his disciples. Now, I've passed over these geographic references in the past and didn't realize the wealth of information and what Jesus is hinting at by just the route that he takes and the places that are mentioned along the way. First of all, Bethphage. This was just a less than a day, Sabbath day's walk, a kind of a suburb outside of Jerusalem. And what you find out at the time of Jesus, this little town, Bethphage, was the place that the sacrificial paschal lamb was raised. And once a year, that paschal lamb was led along a procession into Jerusalem along the same path that Jesus took. And then on the Passover, it was slaughtered and sacrificed on the Temple Mount. Hmm. Bethany. This is the town, if you know uh, a few more stories in the Bible, this is the town of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, just a little farther from Jerusalem than Bethphage. And in it, just a few weeks before, the Gospel of John records the fact that Jesus came to Bethany when Lazarus had died and he raised him from the dead. And Jesus is hinting at here saying, you know what I am about? I'm about bringing resurrection. I'm about bringing goodness and grace and beauty back to this broken and fallen world. The Mount of Olives itself. 
Everyone in Jesus' day and time among the people of God had read the prophets and understood what the prophets had said. And this is what's so fascinating about this route that Jesus takes and the fact that he comes from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Because from the prophet Zechariah, it said that the Messiah, when he comes, he will stand that his on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the prophet Elijah, or e Ezekiel, excuse me, says this, Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the east. That is the eastern gate through which Jesus came from the Mount of Olives. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. So Jesus is following the exact route that the prophets had foretold. Jesus is following the route that the sacrificial lamb followed. Jesus is following the route and passing by the place of resurrection from a few weeks earlier. And Jesus passes through into Jerusalem through the gate, we think the Eastern gate, which is called also the gate of mercy. And then Jesus does something that doesn't quite fit, or at least at first. It says in Mark chapter 11, 7, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Jesus deliberately chooses for his entry into Jerusalem a donkey's colt. Now, you might say, oh, that's because the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 talked about, behold, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. And that is true. But why is that prophet even saying that? Why would the Messiah do something like this? Why is he coming in like this? Because Jesus is not coming in as a military conqueror to kick out the Romans in um, a Rolls Royce, but more of a moped. He's not coming on a beast of burden, a war horse, but the colt, the foal of a donkey. Uh, you know, a vehicle that would uh, bear something like a hobbit rather than a human being. What is Jesus saying by that? How do all these things add up? You've probably been adding them up in your head already. So Jesus is bringing the glory of God. And he is entering Jerusalem. But he does not come in like the Maccabean kings, like a warrior king by any means. He comes in like the lamb. And he plans on going to the slaughter to be the vulnerable sacrifice, the substitute for us. Jesus brings together both the majesty of God and the meekness of his person, the power of God and the weakness of of his sacrifice. He comes to be the substitute and the sacrifice, the Messiah of mercy as he comes through the gate, not the Messiah of power and might and wrath. And he is the one who will die to bring about the resurrection of the dead. Now, right after the text that we read, we could keep reading on in this chapter, and you'd find he comes into the temple, as you've probably heard, or many of you have known, and he cleanses the temple of all these money changers and this circus-like atmosphere in the court of the Gentiles. And he cries out, 
at the top of his lungs, my house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. That circus-like atmosphere was no place in the house of God. And here's the point. The Maccabeans, these Hasmonean kings, 200 years ago, who cleansed the temple and rededicated it to God, had kicked out the foreigners. And Jesus now kicks out the religious class and opens it up for the nations. He does the opposite. That's his upside-down kingdom. He is showing us through all of these little orchestrated parts of his entry in Palm Sunday, how upside down and inside out his kingdom is. Now the question is, how do we enter that kingdom? How do you enter an upside down kingdom? Now you might be saying with all this and you're cheering Jesus on going, fantastic, let's do it, Jesus. You take over, you're in charge, I am for you. But you have to realize the crowds, even on Palm Sunday, were not entering the kingdom by their cheers and throwing a few palm branches around and following as an entourage for a few moments. Most of them abandoned Jesus before the end of the week. In fact, he's left all alone by the end of the week when he's entering, uh, uh, bringing and ushering in the kingdom of God itself. And you might say, well, but Jesus is for us and we're for him. But when I look at my life, I have to acknowledge the fact that I'm not always for him. In fact, I'm not for him. I'm against him, even though he's for me. That's the reality. And it appears that these would-be followers of Jesus who are praising God, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, just a few days later will have all fallen away. It was shallow. It looked good, but it didn't have any real substance to it. You don't enter the kingdom of God by just adding a little Jesus into the life you've already got, saying a prayer and following a formula. No. You enter an upside-down kingdom in an upside-down way. Now, this week I was fascinated as I was studying this text. I discovered there had been a discussion at the time of Jesus, before the time of Jesus, that the rabbis had had over time about these texts from Zechariah chapter 9 and other verses about the coming Messiah. It's in the Talmud, which is um, the commentaries of rabbis over the ages as they reflect on the scriptures, the prophets, the law, and the writings. And in it, it says that Jesus, well, that there's a, this contradiction about the Messiah that they try to resolve. This is what it says. Rabbi Alexandri, who brought this up, says, Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi raises a contradiction between two depictions of the coming of the Messiah. It is written, there came with the clouds of heaven one like unto a son of man, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And as it is written, behold, your king will come to you. He is just and victorious, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, Rabbi Alexandria explains, if the Jewish people merit redemption, the Messiah will come in a miraculous manner with the clouds of heaven. 
And if they do not merit redemption, the Messiah will come lowly and riding upon a donkey. Ugh. You know what Jesus was telling the people? You know what he's telling you and me? We're not worthy. Jesus still enters Jerusalem. Jesus still does what he does, but it's not because I was worthy of it, that I deserve it, that I merit. Not at all. Jesus enters this world. Jesus entered Jerusalem the way he did because we didn't merit it. We were not worthy of it. That's the upside down way you enter God's kingdom when you're not worthy. You know, I know there are probably quite a few people right now open to spiritual conversations in your neighborhood, if you're working or if you're talking to people remotely or whatever way you're doing it. And they're more open to spiritual dimension and asking for prayers than ever before. And I just have a feeling, though, if you listen to those conversations with some discernment, what you will find again and again is that we still try in our efforts to try to connect with God, claim some worthiness on our part to why he should answer our prayers. You know, like some people will say, you know, I'm really sincerely trying or I'm doing my best or I've always been a spiritual person, but now I can see why it's. And we're always coming up with ways to kind of build ourselves up attempting kind of to get God to answer us or do something for us or our nation because we have done something for him to try to make a deal with God. And Jesus is saying there is no deal to be made. There are promises to be kept. You're not worthy of me doing what I'm doing, but I'm still going to do it for you because I love you so much. Now, I'm going to be a little snarky with this. You're probably used to this by now. But I've always heard people say, hey, I just gave my heart to to Jesus. And I want to applaud that and be thankful for that. Because it sounds so noble and so sweet and so sincere. But, you know, on the other hand, I'm going like, you know, I know my heart. And how messed up it is. And how twisted and rebellious it is. Why would Jesus even want it? (laughs) To receive the upside down kingdom of God, you have to understand God's upside down ways. And you realize, I've got nothing on God. Whatever I'm going to give to God, whether it's my heart or my life, it just causes him more problems. It's more of a struggle for him. Anything I give to God is just another problem for him to solve. And yet God, in Jesus Christ, is willing to bear it all and become it all. Jesus does want your heart. He wants you this Palm Sunday to not just praise God and wave a palm branch or say a little prayer, but to lay down your life for him. But don't claim how wonderful that is. Just proclaim how wonderful he is and how wonderful he has given everything for us in our salvation. Jesus had talked about entering the kingdom of God many times before. One of the clearest is his opening words on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are spiritual beggars, who have nothing on God, who only have their need. They're the ones who enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And do you know that Jesus himself, you could say he became a spiritual beggar. He is the one who has nothing to his name. Even the robe that he owned is taken from him and gambled away. He owns no piece of property. He has nothing to his name. Even his good reputation is stripped from him as he is mocked and spit upon and crucified. The only crown he has is one of thorns. The only throne he has is a cross. He loses everything in order to give it to you, to give you everything and the kingdom. This Palm Sunday starts that, the week of his passion, the week where he loses everything, the week that he comes in as the sacrificial lamb, the week that he doesn't take up a sword or take up a fight or try to prove a cause, but to lay his life down for you. Will you just kind of give up trying to be good enough to get in and receive the gift that it is as someone who has nothing on God and yet is given every promise of God? Someone who is given this Messiah, this upside-down king, this upside-down kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are amazed this day that you came into Jerusalem. You gave your life. You knew what you were doing. You orchestrated the entire way. You would not be like any other leader, any other ruler, any other person, but you would be the sacrificial lamb the priest who would lay down his life, the king who would serve to completely giving up everything. Lord God, we are amazed at your kingdom. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we try to claim things about ourselves that just aren't true. We're not that sincere. We're not that great. We're not that good. But you know what? Your promises are better than we ever anticipated. Your goodness is better than anything this world can offer. What you have for us, Lord Jesus, that you lay out for us this week, we are amazed at. And you give it to us freely. And we receive it with empty hands, all that you are. So yes, take our hearts and our lives, Lord, as messed up they are. And we know it causes more problems for you in one sense, but you love us so much, you want to take care of all of those things for us, and you do. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of these things in your name. Amen. Um, right now, um, we're going to pray, and I don't see too many prayer requests that have come up. So I do know um, uh, Lori Hayes' mother, um, Ruth, has entered, um, I think, is it hospice care or hope care yesterday, hope hospice. And uh, I was able to see her this week and give her Holy Communion. And um, Lori and Tom, I know you've been 
serving, your, uh, serving her so much, and uh, we'll be praying for her. We'll also be praying uh, for Mike Grisky and uh, the family as her nephew Jeff passed away. We know where he is. He is with the Lord, but we know we still grieve the loss, and so we'll be lifting that up in prayer. Um, we've already talked and prayed about our healthcare workers and others, but um, we just pray that uh, for these situations and individuals, and let's now join together in prayer and then in the Lord's Prayer. <sighs> Lord Jesus, um, you are the coming King, the Messiah, the ultimate King, and you reign in this world in a way that is so different than every other organization and government and institution that we can ever think of. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. You are unlike any other. And we know, Lord, you want us to offer to you our anxieties, our cares, our fears, our joys, our hopes, our lives in prayer. Today, we place Ruth into your care as she is now um, in hope, care, and we pray, Lord God, that you, as you have been with her throughout her 80-some years of life, Lord, you will be with her in her last days by her side, and you will usher her into your kingdom. We pray for Lori and the family, Lord, that you bless them, give them your peace, strengthen them in these days. Lord, uh, we thank you for the life of Mike's, Mikey's um, nephew, Jeff, for his strong faith in you. And now that he has gone uh, into your kingdom, that he has passed away and is now entered into glory with you, Lord, we pray for your comfort and peace for Mikey, for her sister, for her nephew's wife, for the family, Lord. And as they are unable to gather together during this time for a memorial service or a celebration of life, we still pray, Lord, that your comfort and peace would be upon them in their midst of their grief, that you give them the hope. Lord God, we are entering not just Holy Week, but weeks that are going to be difficult for our country. As we have heard about uh, how the, the curve is reaching its apex in a couple of uh, hot spots in our nation in the coming weeks. We pray, Lord God, that you would focus us on your promises, that you'd be with every one of the healthcare workers, that you would provide us opportunities, Christians throughout this country, to proclaim your resurrection in the midst of death, to proclaim your truth in the midst of questions to proclaim your love and your mercy in the midst of all the anxieties that we face, that, Lord, we can be your presence. We can show your, your um, confidence that you give us, that we can display your promises, that we can do everything that you'd want us to do in such a situation as this, that you would be glorified and your kingdom expands. We pray, Lord, for each of us individually as we are socially isolated that you keep us connected. As we are not uh, able to see each other face to face that we still can get together virtually. That you would use this time for refining us, Lord. That our trust grows in you. That you would use this time as well for renewing us, Lord. 
that our faith grows stronger. We pray, O oh Lord, for this week, for Good Friday as well as Easter, that the celebrations, though different this year, would be just um, even more meaningful. Because of your resurrection, Lord Jesus, we have hope beyond uh, the day-to-day -day issues that we are facing and all of the struggles. Give us such confidence, Lord. Help us to understand this more deeply and more profoundly this year. Lord God, um, into your care and keeping we place ourselves and everyone this day. And we are going to sum them all up, Lord, in the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you this day. May his face shine on you. May he be gracious to you and lead you in his peace. And we hope to connect with you this week in a variety of ways. Let us know any prayer requests, any way we can serve you. Let us also celebrate together uh, and remember the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ and Good Friday and invite others on Easter to celebrate the resurrection. And uh, we'd love you to be a part of that video that Wyatt will be putting together. So send those videos in. Blessings today. May God's peace be with you. Thanks for joining us for our live streaming worship at Thrive.